podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. the season everyone yes hello glad tidings thanks for listening to a slightly more upbeat steve bloomers washing derby county podcast where there's good news at long last nine weeks on from our last win and clean sheet the rams have finally bagged three points again to move off the foot of the championship for now at least who would have thought would be buzzing this much to be 23rd in the league eh uh, the single goal win over Gary Rowett's Millwall didn't really solve any of Derby County's problems, but it kept us in touch with the bottom of the pack, proved we can see games out after all and focus for the full 90 and just gave us something to cheer about, quite frankly, in this chaotic, underwhelming and agonising Rams season so far. I'm your host, Chris Parsons. Welcome along. It's great to have you with us. And Richard and Tom have dialed in as well. Yeah, good weeks, boys. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Very good week. Made all the better by uh, a continued undefeated uh, Wayne Renews Derby County. Absolutely. How about you, Tom? Yeah, it's really nice to hear you sounding so chipper, Chris. It's uh, It's been a while since I've seen you. Uh, it, it sounds like you've got a smile on your face. So uh, a very good week for me. I moved house last Friday, uh, which is why I've been away from pod duty on the verdict. And uh, I'm, I'm very pleased to be back uh, today talking about three points. It has been a uh, a roller coaster of emotions. I've been in a glass case of emotion in the past <laughs> seven days. It's fair to say. Before we move on, of course, don't forget that Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered f- for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. Um, I had a substantial meal last week, boys, at the pub, and I'm having another one today. And I imagine when the pubs reopen in uh, the Derbyshire area, they'll be serving up substantial meals till the cows come home so make sure you do support them and their venues around the city and the midlands uh, as often as you can um but loads to get through on this pod there's uh, millwall of course and what happened on the pitch uh, there's millwall and what happened off the pitch very sadly uh, your five word reviews some more new manager talk can we get ourselves out of trouble now after that long-awaited second one of the season. And uh, Tom's chipping in with the quiz to close out episode 99. Um, but it's amazing, isn't it, Tom and Kutch, how one win can can lift the mood so much. Um, I'll hold my hands up. I um, basically admitted I thought we were relegated after Coventry. Um, it shows there is life in us yet. But even after those kicking the balls home draws against Wickham, and Coventry at home where I was at my absolute lowest point and just couldn't see where our next win was coming from. That Those were the the fourth and fifth times this season that we dropped two points from a winning position. So when Jason Knight fired in the rebound from Waggy's header in the 69th minute at the Den Kutch, be honest, did you think in your gut that we'd hold on given what had happened before? I was I was um, crapping myself, uh, to use a, a nicer word. Um I, I, knew, I thought we were capable of doing so because I thought we hadn't been that troubled. Curtis Davis seemed to be kind of um, doing what we know Curtis Davis can do. And we weren't conceding lots of chances, but because of 
because of the way the last two matches have gone previously, Coventry and Wickham, I was I did I did think that there's a good chance we were going to concede. Still would have liked a second goal. Um, and I, I'm not a particularly superstitious person, but when I was sat here watching it on on Rams TV, I was uh, I did refuse to move and get up and top up my drink or turn the lights on. I sat here in the pitch black because I just didn't want to kind of jinx anything, which is of course ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I. I I was kind of watching through my fingers, if I'm honest, uh, to see if uh, we'd hold on. So just delighted we could do it. So you just sort of sat there in the dark, thirsty, like some sort of weird hostage situation, just <laughs> praying for us to see it out, were you? Yeah, something like that. It was, uh, it, it, it was, it was bleak. Uh, but of course, as soon as that final whistle went, we did hold on. And to be honest, they didn't create that many chances at the end. There wasn't any. There wasn't too many scary, hairy moments. I thought m- most of the chances they created were in that first half. I thought Rooney managed the game a lot better. The players managed the game a lot better in that kind of last ten minutes, and they did enough to to see it through. It was a classic hallmarks of a, a one nil away win, really, Tom. Um, we we rode our luck at times a lot. We needed to be uh, solid at the back. Marshall obviously got us out of trouble early on with uh, with that fine one handed one on one save. We got the goal, and then we hung on, frankly, um, as we have done, but or failed to do in in recent weeks five times this season. I was listening to it on Rams TV and Sean Barker, who was on CoComs, really good actually. I thought it was very insightful. He said that um, it could be a game of second balls. And I think the selection that we went with of having people in like Shinny and Davis, do you think the, the experience of those players is is what we needed to to see through games like that and win those key battles and get points in those sorts of situations. Yeah, I think it was um, it was the experience that really showed through and the sort of know how of not necessarily how to play high quality passing football, but to to keep the ball away from our box as much as possible. Um, there was only, as you say, that one real chance for Jed Wallace, who I thought was lively. He's their he's their best player for me. Uh, Jed Wallace thing is very tricky and very good winger. Um, and it, was, it came from a mistake from Clark. But apart from that, everyone stood up, uh, was counted. They kicked it and headed it when they needed to. Uh, and they did the basics, which we can criticise Derby for not doing. Uh, and it's at time the basics that have let us down this season. If you go back to the equaliser for Coventry, I think Wisdom just heads the ball up in the air. If he heads the ball away properly, um, they don't score that. So everything was absolutely spot on defensively. I thought it was an excellent uh, performance. And every single player there stood up and was counted uh, when they needed to be. Yeah, we'll come on to the um, defensive plaudits and everyone did make a contribution, didn't they, you have to say. But let's talk about the goal. We'll give it a full hour and a half because we haven't had many to talk about in (laughs) in this season. Lovely little break forward and and team move in the build-up. Craig Forsyth picking out uh, or picks out on the left in acres of room. I was pretty surprised as, as, you know, the position he found himself in, basically on the edge of the area, able to, to float one in. But the cross that he picks out, Stands up an excellent little left-footed cross to the back post where Waghorn's held that wide position. Uh, Waggy does well to keep his header down. It's powered out by the goalkeeper and, and Jason Knight is there in what I'd have to say is becoming quite a familiar Jason Knight sort of position, like following up second balls in and around the uh, 18-yard box to to fire home and uh, and score on the rebound it was um it, it, it's a bit of a scrappy finish but a well-worked goal from start to finish really when you think about it coach yeah no really well worked and, and Christian Bielik had a huge part to play in that kind of 
you know, we see Christian Bilic bringing the ball out from defence and, and transitioning us quickly into attack. And, and that's what started the move. He picked out Jason Knight before he put it wide to Fozzie, as you say. And then, as we've been crying out for, and so many others have been crying out for over the last few weeks, is getting men in the box gives you a chance to score goals. And Colin Cousin Richards has a big part to play. He, and he actually occupies both central defenders. He stood in between them. That leaves, uh, or maybe it's the central defender and, and the left back he's occupying, but that leaves Martin Waghorn kind of free at the back post. And Fozzie does pick him out. I think Fozzie looks, he sees Waggy completely unmarked that back post, puts a great ball in. And and yeah, men in the box means that Jason Knight is, is on the end of, on the knockdown. And, and just a, a shout out again to Colin Kazim Richards. It's not a foul, but he does very cleverly just position himself in front of the goalkeeper as Knight tucks that away. Just another way to kind of obscure the goalkeeper's view. So just very, you know, clever play from from the whole from that kind of set of five players. And and Max Berber's also arriving in the box as well. So there were men def, that message is finally getting through that, you know, getting men in the box is going to create chances. As I said, Kutch, I, I really like Bielik picking the ball up and driving through the midfield, the pass tonight in the space. It cut out three or four Millwall players. And one yeah. of the reasons why Forsyth had the space for me is because of the intelligent run from Yuzviak. Millwall recognised that he's our danger man and they were putting men onto him uh, to try and shut him down. So they they pressured him so he wasn't able to to start running with the ball. Uh, and he made a really good run into the centre of the field. And as a result, it pulled their, the Millwall right winger uh, in and inside. So it gave Forsyth the, the opportunity to have that space and, and come into the inside left position. The ball was perfect for Waghorn and Waghorn's not going to score from there. So he actually does really well to head the ball down and mean that the keeper has to sort of parry it or is in difficulty. Because if he heads that straight into the uh, into the keeper, the keeper's going to catch it. So the fact it bounces off the turf means the keeper's in difficulty. He ends up parrying it. And as you say, it's brilliant to see Derby players in the box and attacking the ball and wanting to, to be on the end of it. And Knight tucks it away fantastically. So um, it would have been a great day to have been, been their classic away victory. Um, unfortunately, we weren't able to be there, but... But yeah, excellent goal and uh, excellent performance. Club refunds uh, still in the post, I'm told. Uh, although it's been quite a while. Um, <laughs> before we move on, I, I didn't have this down originally, but um, when Derby signed Colin Kazim Richards, we spent a good amount of time basically ridiculing that signing, saying it yeah. was uh, it seemed desperate. His his record is awful. He's over the hill. He hasn't even played in England for years, but. In the last three or four games, he's been he's made such a huge contribution, hasn't he? We've got to say we've 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 got it wrong based on the last few games. He's you can see clearly in the home games against Carvin Wickham that he was uh, taking huddles because he's he's one of the more vocal players. We'll come on to what he said at half time in the Millwall game. We all saw how um, how, how proud he is of of who he is and how he's not afraid to say that to anyone. Um, you can see clearly that. Even when he came off against uh, against Millwall, he was clearly disappointed, but he had run himself into the ground. But his number came up, he started to walk off, he was clearly upset, but then he gathered himself and he, he like he clapped and he turned around and he rallied the team as if to say, like, you know, look, I'm coming off, but that doesn't mean the rest of you can't still stop, don't have to stop putting a shift in to really grind out this result. Like he's we talked a few weeks ago, Coach, about the lack of leaders in this team. Do you think we've got one? In, in CKR? Yeah, it certainly seems that way. He's certainly playing that role from what you can tell from the outside and the noises from from within the club seem to suggest that he is. Obviously, Wayne Rooney keeps picking him, so he's obviously doing something right and not just what we can see on the pitch. I think, you know, Colin Kazim Richards and, and Curtis Davis as well, being back in the team, I'm desperate for Davis to stay in the team, just does add a lot more 
uh, grit and know-how and wiliness. But yeah, we absolutely did get it wrong regarding Colin Kazim Richards. I, I think we weren't the only ones, but uh, certainly, certainly fair for us to put our hands up and say we got that wrong. And and he's, he's invaluable at the moment. We saw the difference when we he came off against Wickham. It could kind of change the game. Um, I, I thought it didn't quite stick to him as, as well um, yesterday against Millwall as it had in other games. And that might have been just maybe not quite as good quality delivery into him. Uh, maybe the Millwall defence are a bit more wise to it. Um, but I thought he was. He was. A, it took him a bit longer to get going yesterday. But he certainly did have a, a major impact on the team. And and yeah, long may it continue. He, he he's probably one of the first names on the team sheet. If if we're being honest, uh, right now. I've got to flag this up before we come back to Millwall. But against um, against Coventry, as the little ball over the top from um, either Knight or Bird, I can't remember, to Kazim Richards, and he took a little touch over the defender and then took it on the volley. If he scores that, it's one of the goals, <laughs> one of the goals of the season easily. And then later on, he he um, he, he gets the goal against Coventry. Really good header, made it his, dominated the centre back um, to to power it into the bottom corner. And then later on, he, he runs that channel, claims a ball that he doesn't really have any right to win, uh, beats a defender easily, and lays it on a plate for for Stratton, who just can't quite keep the shot down. Like he was. Um, he had a brilliant performance against Coventry and didn't deserve to be on a side that that didn't win. So I was hugely impressed with him in that regard. But Tom, let's go back to the base of the team, to uh, the likes of Davis and Clark. I know we've talked on the WhatsApp group a bit how we were slightly worried by Clark's performances of late. Like he's taken a few extra touches, he's making mistakes, but by and large, aside from a couple of minor slip-ups, against against Millwall him and Davis they knew they were in a game but it's a sort of game they absolutely love like just having to deal with someone like Matt Smith how how did you rate how they both performed yeah I think Davis marshaled Smith fantastically uh there was one moment from I think it was on a corner which uh he managed to get in front of Smith and then there was another moment when Wallace got down the wing and beat Bielik and uh put the ball into the back post and Davis just backs into Smith so Smith can't get any power and he heads it straight into Marshall's hands um Clark again yeah I think he was very solid yesterday my my issue with Clark is that last year we forgave him for some of the uh mistakes that he was making and he, he was prone to a gaffe if you think about the Brentford own goal is one classic example in the lockdown period. Um, this year, he's kept that up. And I'm just not seeing the progress that you'd want to see of a top quality championship centre-half. Um, and that might, might be my one concern because against Coventry, that back pass, which Marshall managed to, I don't know, either kick the Coventry player or the Coventry player missed it. I could have well have been a penalty, should have been a goal for certain. Uh, the mistake where he lets the ball bounce and Jed Wallace and out muscles him and overpowers him and gets that chance, which could and should have been a goal as well. He's got to cut those errors out and he's got to do it consistently for for me to to really keep his place in the team. He's in there at the moment because wisdom also is capable of making mistakes and isn't consistent enough. Um, it's not because necessarily that he is the best player in the championship or one of the best defenders in the championship at the moment. So yes, I think he played well yesterday, but there was still a mistake in there with, without a great save from Marshall uh, would have led to a goal. And if we've gone, gone 1-0 down, you know what happens then with this Derby team so far this year. Yeah, really, really great. Uh, really great save from from Marshall, wasn't it? Uh, yesterday after that mistake from Clark, a really strong hand and, and kind of red where the striker was going to put it. I, I think, you know, I, I agree with everything Tom said. I think Clark has got mistakes in him and he has looked particularly shaky the last few weeks. Look, I, I think Clark and Davis are the best two centre-backs at the club. 
Um, I don't think Clark is quite as good as lots of uh, fans seem to think he is, um, but he is one of the two best centre-backs at the club, and I just want those two to stay together. I think the, the mitigating factor and the excuse you can give Clark, perhaps, is that the whole back four has been chopped around, chopped and changed around him, not just a back four, but a back three, a back five. Um, and so it can't. It hasn't been an easy team to play in. I think he's a much better player next to Curtis Davis, like most probably defenders would be. Um, so let's just let's just settle on that for December, please. Um, and I think that would benefit both Curtis Davis, Matt Clark, and and the rest of the kind of defensive unit. I'm going to have to give a, a healthy dose of realism at this point because I feel like I I have to. Um, as I said at the start of the podcast, I don't think the win of a Millwall really solves any of our problems. We are still in the bottom three. And when you actually factor in Sheffield Wednesday's points deduction, we are still the joint worst team in the league this season. And I just feel that this strategy we have at the moment of, of nicking a goal and then going back to the wall to hang on for, you know, for the remaining 20, 30 minutes or whatever, it's just not a sustainable way of climbing up the table. I don't think, I mean, it will only get us so far. We need to get second goals in games still. I mean, at the end against Millwall, we had seven defenders on. I mean, that for me doesn't strike me as a sort of setup of a team who are comfortable defending a lead. Yeah, I mean, I, t- I take your point, Chris. I think I'd be interested to see how this team responds if we score early in a game, which, you know, it's the reason we haven't been scoring more goals is because we're seriously lacking composure. We have started creative chances. We have started creating chances, which the players have butchered. You know, there's a couple in the first half yesterday, which uh, between Dwayne Holmes and Jason Knight, they, they butchered some really good chances and, and, and others in other games as well. Um, I'd be interested to see how we, how we react if we scored an early goal. I do feel like if we'd scored an early goal in one of the last three games, we may well have gone on to to get that second or, or or even third goal. I think that that might actually be coming for this team in in the right moment. I don't think it's going to come against Brentford, but um. So, but at the moment, if you get a goal late on in the position you're in, I, I don't. Although it's frustrating and nail biting to watch a team go so defensive in the last ten minutes of a game to defend a lead, I kind of. I kind of don't know what other choice there is. You know, Rooney was too slow to make the change against Coventry, which would have put Graham Shinney in front of the back four to maybe mop up that ball. You could actually blame Bielik for not being in that position as well. And he said that himself in the interview. So I think we're not far off turning some of these draws into three points and even even putting a few more goals on the board. But I, I take your point. I'm certainly not getting carried away because the, the next three fixtures particularly are, are looking pretty tough. It's amazing how fickle football fans can be where we were sort of dead on the floor after draws against Wickham and Coventry and then a 1-0 scrappy away victory against Millwall to move us 23rd makes us feel like on top of the world. So um, it is incredible. I, I did feel great last night when uh, when the result came in and it is um, and it is a, a good feeling to pick up those three points. But you're right, Chris, the reality of the situation is that we are in a desperate position and if Sheffield Wednesday hadn't had a points deduction, we would actually be bottom. Uh, and this league, as as Kutch, you've said a few times over the WhatsApp group, is a poor league this season. There's a real opportunity for a team to come out of nowhere to to go up. So it's disappointing to see where Derby are. I think the fact that we're, we're scoring one and then holding out or trying to at the moment just is the lack of confidence, as you sort of mentioned, we're not being clinical enough with the chances, so we need to try and keep the ball out the out the net. And the one thing I, I have liked about this Derby side, even in that maybe the last little game or two with Koku um, and the the games preceding, sorry, after the slacking of Koku, um, we've tried to keep it tight and we we're not conceding many goals. And it will 
there will come a time when we will start to score goals. And I think that's when we'll move up the table. If you look at some of our rivals, they're really starting to concede goals now. And there's a lot of concern about those. Um, and I think that Derby are moving in the right direction, albeit very slowly. Um, and I think this Saturday's, Saturday's performance will, will be a, a good sort of starting point. Uh, I think we'll struggle maybe against Brentford on Wednesday, but I do think we're going to pick up more points in the coming weeks. Yeah, I do just wonder if we can just make it through to January with the gap being about what it is now and try not to get cut further adrift from safety, then maybe we can get in one or two key reinforcements um, and that could completely change our season. Maybe we'll go back in for, for Derson, the, the target man we're after in pre-season. I don't know. But where do you both think this leaves us in terms of our overall chances of staying up then? So the current table after 16 games, is Sheffield Wednesday bottom uh, nine points, goal difference of minus six, although with that six points deduction, of course. Then 23rd, Derby, 11 points, minus 14. 22nd, Wickham, 11 points, minus 14. 21st, Forest, 13 points, minus 10. And then 20th, Rotherham, 13 points, minus eight. And then in 19th, you've got a jump up to Coventry on 17 points, six points ahead of Derby on minus eight. Um, I know it's obviously completely impossible to say right now, but what's what's your hunch saying? Can we get out of trouble, do you think? Yeah, absolutely we can. I've said before uh, numerous times that while no team is too good to go down, this team is certainly good enough on paper to be a mid-table championship team there's, there's no doubt about that don't you can't tell me that on paper this team is worse than Coventry than Wickham Wanderers than Wotherham than Barnsley even um there's there's plenty I think there's plenty more teams at Derby it should be should be better than just by playing kind of as to their expected potential not above it just to the expected potential so I I'm still qu- quite confident that we'll, we'll get out of it I think it you know it might take a while to, to get out of it it might be a nail-biter right up until kind of February, March time. Uh, but I, I do think that we've, we've got plenty enough in the tank. And I think we've started to show that, that we can we can pick up results in this division. As you said, it's a, it is a very poor league. Um, and I, I just think if we can get through these next three games, Brentford, Stoke and Swansea without you know losing all three, picking up maybe a couple of points, uh, particularly yeah, Brentford away is going to be a tough game, but then Stoke at home and Swansea at home. I think we need to be looking to get two to four points from those three games and then you, you're back into a run of very winnable games and the kind of must-win game I'd suggest against Rotherham United away. Tom, part of this for me is the fact that no other team around us seems to be able to win either. Um, it does strike me that we have been a little bit lucky with just how bad the form has been of the, the teams around Derby. What's going on with, with the teams around us, do you think? Like Forest shouldn't expect to be down there either. They were on the cusp of the playoffs last season. Wednesday have been up there historically in the past few seasons or there or thereabouts. Can you shed any light on why all the other teams near us are as bad as Derby? It's quite interesting looking at Forest. I think they're um, they're in a similar position to us. If you think about their what would be their sort of starting eleven or even their sort of first first team squad, it's it, there's some strong players in there uh, on paper. They're just not quite performing. Um, you think about Lyle Taylor and, and Graben, who will score you goals. Samba, despite his mistake yesterday, I, I normally think is a reasonably de- decent, solid championship goalkeeper. Joe Worrell, despite his mistake against Derby way back in a uh, Back in the summer, he's another good centre-half. And you, you're, you're kind of sort of surprised that they're down there. Um, 
it seems for me for Forrest is that there's too much change and too much turmoil. Um, so a manager comes in for a bit of a project like Lamushi did last year, uh, did extremely well, and then it collapsed uh, towards the end of the season for them, uh, fortunately, perhaps if you're a Derby fan. And then he is is out of a job within within sort of 10 games and you've got Chris Hewton coming in who some of the fans don't like and he's bringing in his own players because he he wants to play more solid sort of style of football and some of the fans aren't liking that whereas Lamushi was trying to play more expansive football when when things were going well. Um, so I think with Forrest, there's been quite a lot of sort of turmoil over the last sort of few years, lots of player turnover, which we've alluded to before. Um, and so there's a, a, an uncertainty about the who's going to be playing and what their best 11 is and how it how it fits. With Rotherham, you, you mentioned their coach, that that is a real must-win game. It, it would be lovely to play Rotherham at the moment because they just concede goals. Watching their game against Coventry yesterday, defensively, it's they're at sixes and sevens. They just don't know how to... Um, they don't know how to defend. They don't know how to pick up runners. They look vulnerable to through balls. They look vulnerable to the ball into the box. Like Colin Cousin Richards would have an absolute field day against their two centre-halves. Um, and there's lots of criticism from the Rotherham fans of, of Paul Warren. He got them up last year, but um, there's a real anger against him because um, because of these defensive frailties they've got. And also because like Rotherham seem to pass the ball around the back for about two minutes and then lump the ball forward. And it seems that the silly mistakes that are made by players week in, week out, I think Joe Mattock at left back is constantly uh, sort of called like for his yellow cards. He's always going to foul someone and get a yellow card pretty much every game. Um, and the midfield is very limited and that's why maybe why they bypass it. So different problems at Forest and Rotherham, the teams uh, immediately above the relegation zone. Uh, Forest quite comparable to the Rams, I think, at the moment. But Rotherham look like to me the ones who are, are currently the ones that are slipping down the, the league without too much hope of getting getting a string of results together as things stand. And the thing to remember, Kutch, is that if you look back to this time last season, about 15, 20 games in, Hull and Charlton, they weren't flying, but they were both having really good seasons. We we went to Hull away in late October and where they turned us over 2-0. Charlton turned us over at the start of the season at the Valley. Um, And I think, I'll have to check the table, but Hull were like, what, about eighth? About 15, 20 games in and Charlton Mm. were in top half as well. And then after Christmas, both those teams absolutely sank like a stone. I know Hull sold Jared Bowen and uh, and Grzycki, so they lost their two best players. Uh, and Charlton had a pretty uh, a pretty thin squad in the first place, so they were maybe overperforming to begin with. Um, but you can't rule out the fact that there is usually one team, sometimes more, who just completely drop their asses and fall through the division after Christmas. And I'm just looking at the table now. I, I guess it's harsh, but Luton fans will probably be happy to say that they're in the top half at the moment possibly maybe even Huddersfield as well although they've got a new manager of course um can you factor that in do you think that there could be a team that may fall into it after after new year yeah absolutely of course they could this league this league does change very quickly which is one of the reasons I've got I'm quite optimistic about Derby's chances of of, of getting away from it eventually and the one I'd look at they're not top half currently but is is, is Millwall who we played yesterday I mean they've drawn eight matches they, they have got a decent defensive record, but they're not scoring goals. And, you know, if those draws start turning into defeats, like it did yesterday for Millwall, then they will, they will drop pretty quickly as well. And that's, as we know, it's not a particularly happy club and environment. Uh, they're going to have their own kind of civil war at the club, it looks like, for the next few weeks, at least. So I would suggest Millwall could easily fall down. Of course, everyone's going to look at Luton and think they might be overperforming. But, you know, they're playing some good football at the moment. Um 
above above them, I was hoping a few weeks ago Reading were about to completely fall like a stone, but they actually seem to have started picking up some results again. So I, I think we're kind of looking more at the teams around us currently. Rotherham, as you say, and Wickham, you've got to, you've got to be hoping that those two definitely make up that bottom three. And then and then it's probably you know Derby, QPR, Cov, Barnsley. I think, as I said, Millwall, Luton might come down. Burnham and Preston haven't haven't been particularly convincing either. So I think there's plenty of there's plenty of dross in this league. Derby just need to rise above three of them. Again, I, I'm quite confident we will. You said, Chris, that you know Jason Knight's winner doesn't solve anything for us. I think the thing it does it gives it gives the team a lot more confidence. It gives the team some momentum. I just that's why I say the next three games they're tough games. If we can just get through them without a thrashing somewhere and pick up a couple of hard fought points or more. I mean, they'll set us up nicely for some uh, some very winnable games uh, later in December. Amen to that. Well, we're going to be back in just a few seconds, but don't forget you can subscribe to Steve Bloomer's Washing. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Harley feeds the ball right. Veers the target! 2-2! Emmanuel Villa for Derby County sends Pride Park into raptures. So we're going to kick off the second part of the pod with some five word reviews. So we just put out to you guys on our Twitter at Steve Bloomer Pod to just sum up the most recent performance in exactly five words. Uh, loads of great responses. Sorry, once again, I can't read all of them out, but we did get uh, dozens and dozens in on Twitter. Uh, but Borough Ram said second bottom on the cans. Uh, Tom Rogers, he came in with Mason Knight scores important goals. Can't disagree with that one. Uh, Kevin Oxford, a bit more pragmatic, a bit more down to earth. He said one game at a time. Uh, Kate Pugh, she tweeted us to say Derby only win in pink. It's a fair point. Only won two games, both yep. in the pink kit. Yep. Uh, David Walton, he tweeted us to say polished performance from our polls uh, at Mart Hobby on Twitter, he said, now begins the promotion run. Said he on, come on. Andrew Woodman, he tweeted us to say, Rooney is growing on me. And uh, just finally, Ben Taylor was one of um, quite a few people to tweet on this theme. He said, the racists get a ramming. There's clearly a lot to unpick and a lot to discuss on this one. Kurt, first and foremost, we're a Derby County podcast. Uh, we're not a Millwall podcast and wherever possible we do like to keep it about football but the facts are the events of the game had such a profound effect on the outcome on the result that they have to be addressed really um the fans uh, being let into the den for the first time since before lockdown of course 2000 fans allowed in uh, the players choosing to take the knee um, just before kickoff as they have done for months since may and Millwall fans, uh, a section of Millwall fans, it has to be said, I imagine there were quite a few who who were silent, but a section of Millwall fans choosing to boo this action in some pretty deplorable and sickening scenes. Kutch, I'll come to you first on it, really. Uh, Gary Rowett has uh, gave a bit of a curious post-match interview afterwards, alluding to the fact that some people think that the BLM, the Black Lives Matter message has been politicised a little bit and is now less to do with anti-discrimination. And I think the point he was trying to make is that there are clearly people out there who believe that that, that the BLM movement is some sort of politicised agenda and it's been taken away from what it meant. 
I don't really think myself that's true or, or really relevant. And there are some people who who feel like taking a stand of solidarity in this sort of situation is somehow oppressive against them, which is just, you know, narrow-minded and backwards, frankly. But either way, when people say that they wonder when it's acceptable, in quote marks, to stop taking the knee, it's it's these sorts of events and scenes that show exactly why it is still necessary. Yeah, that's a good point, Chris. Um, and I, yeah, I thought Gary Rout was quite clumsy in the way that he he dealt with it post match. And I, look, it's not an easy thing to address, but I think he could have been a bit a bit harder on on the behaviour of his own uh, club's fans. I think this idea. This, I want to just kind of address this politicised part of this uh, argument because it's an, it's an excuse and it's kind of a barrier or a veil that a lot of people seem to be hiding behind or using as an excuse to to disrespect um, this, this, the Black Lives Matter kind of kneeling, taking the knee before the game. The f- football, and I, when I say football, I mean clubs, players, the leagues, the FA, um, have been very clear from the beginning that taking the knee is a, taking a stand against discrimination in sport. And it's not uh, aligned with some of the political parties who have sprung up and, and, and taken the, the name Black Lives Matter or BLM. And uh, that's uh, that's quite separate. And they've taken that name, uh, and now and now people are now using that as an excuse to say, "Well, we can't now do this because they've they've taken the name uh, BLM." It's absolutely it's absolutely garbage uh, that argument. Um, I I personally think that the uh, St George's flag has been hijacked by uh, right wing nutters. However, I still understand that the, the St George's flag represents a lot more of England than just those nutters and uh, I still stand for it and sing the national anthem at England football matches and other sporting matches it, it, it's just purely as an excuse to defend yourself from not, not liking the whole uh, taking knee before a game and if anyone thinks that football which is run in the main by old white men establishment figures if anyone thinks that those people are in cahoots with a party which uh, has Marxist views and they need to give their heads a wobble just need to think about it for two seconds. It doesn't make any sense. So the players and the football have been very clear of what it, what it means to take the knee. So anyone using this excuse that it's become politicised to kind of boo it or, or degrade it is just, uh, well, just in my opinion, you know, lots of people who are racist like to say, I'm not racist. And, and that's that's kind of the excuse they're using at the moment. And it's, it's just very sad. Uh, but it's come to it. And as you said, I think it just highlights that it still needs to be done, along with many other things that need to be done in society to, uh, to tackle this problem. Tom, it's worth pointing out that Millwall in previous years, in the past couple of years, have taken steps to stamp out this sort of behaviour. And they were quick to issue a statement over the weekend saying the booing was, they were dismayed and saddened by the booing. Uh, Millwall did actually form a anti-discrimination focus group in 2019 called Millwall for All, working alongside the FSF and Kick It Out um, volunteers and club reps to, to try and tackle this sort of thing after previous racist incidents at Millwall games. But the sort of booing that we saw, this sort of action, it, it just completely undermines the purpose of that group, doesn't it? And shows that they've still got their work cut out, frankly, as do um, a few other clubs in English football. Let's not pretend that Millwall are the only club that have this sort of problem. Yeah, there was there was certainly something going around about uh, on Twitter about West Ham fans also booing uh, the taking of the knee before the Man United game. And I think Sky drowned it out with some crowd noises. But um, as I say, like, Millwall is a real community club. I've worked in Bermondsey for about four years and um, I know a lot of fans, fans who are Millwall fans and I know a lot of people who are Millwall fans and they are they are mostly decent people. But there are a few people who are 
not decent people and have really abhorrent views. And unfortunately, that's what's come come to the fore at this moment. Discrimination is an issue that needs to be tackled throughout society. It's not just football, as Cut suggests. Um, and it's also not just in terms of race, but gender, mental and physical disabilities and all kinds of different things. And if you see Reading's uh, rainbow goal nets, it's the, I think those sort of things of raising awareness are really important. As a teacher, for the listener, regular listeners will know that I I'm a teacher. I regularly battle with students who act inappropriately and naively using words or doing actions that are discriminatory. And without having actions such as taking the knee, the awareness of discrimination is reduced and therefore people remain uneducated about vital issues like this. And regardless of what you think of Black Lives Matter and the politicised element of it, whatever you think, the actual essential message of this is about equality and fairer treatment um, for those people who are who are not treated as well. And if you can't accept that, and if you boo the taking the knee as a symbol of equality and fairer treatment for all people, then you are at best complicit in continuing discrimination and ignorance in society. And at worst, you're a racist. So I don't care where you are on that. If you're booing, you are, you are not in a good place. And for me, those sort of people need to be identified. They need to be banned. Um, and I think it, it really needs to be tackled a lot stronger. We've, we've made statements and there've been actions to raise awareness there needs to be a really harsh stance and it needs to be financial it needs to be behind closed doors I don't, I don't care what it is some something needs to happen um to really kick these people out and I don't care whether it sounds very woke of me uh, saying things like that uh, and virtue signaling it's important because people are mistreated and we need to have better um less discrimination in society and if we can do something in football that is a, a real opportunity to to speak to the whole of society because so many people are involved and interested and respect those people who play football so they need to make a stand for this i'll just add that um oh yeah tom's outlined that very nicely as well um i'll just add that the club uh, derby county that is uh, did, did actually retweet uh, an article they published in the ram Kind of, kind of what the new magazine is called, but the, the new kind of RAM magazine, um, which they published in October. It's an article from October, so before this happened, and it was with Dwayne Holmes, Curtis Davis, uh, Liam Rossinia, and George Evans about why the players are continuing to take the knee before matches, and they will continue to do so. And it, it has some really, um, really great insight and and you know experience, some quite disturbing experiences, particularly from Davis, Holmes, and Rossinia outlining why this is still a problem and, and why they think taking a knee is is still needed and is is will continue to be needed so i do really recommend that people read that um i think sometimes we can give people too many excuses and say oh they need to be educated blah 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 um i think sometimes people it's on you to go and educate yourself and um while i don't think many of our listeners kind of have many problems uh, in this regard i just think i just read it again this morning and it was just a nice reminder as to as to why this why this is uh, still happening uh, and i would i would recommend that and i'm sure we'll retweet it chris from the uh, steve Williams washington twitter account yeah i read it myself earlier really powerful really impactful uh, and definitely worth 10 15 minutes of your time to read it from start to finish uh, i mean look you know there's an issue when one of Millwall's own players has to issue an incredibly emotive uh, heartfelt and um, strongly worded statement about about the actions himself. It was uh, Marlon Romeo who came out afterwards. He said, it's something I can't wrap my head around. People have their beliefs and views, which everyone's entitled to. I'm not trying to stop or contain, but if your beliefs and views oppose a positive change in society, then don't come to a football ground and spread them around. He also highlighted the fact that Millwall have said previously that they're going to take the knee 
until the end of 2020 and then leave it there. That's something they've agreed to do as a club and they're not the first ones to do that. He said, we'll start the year afresh. And when we do that, there will be things afresh which will combat racism, um, which is a whole different conversation. But look, if they believe they have that it's made an impact and that they have initiatives in place to act upon the awareness that it's raised, then then I'd say that's okay. Uh, But anyway, in terms of the football side of things, the reason we're talking about this aside from the fact that it's really important, is it did have that direct outcome on the game. Uh, there's a great exclusive line from uh, Ryan Conway in The Athletic who revealed that Derby's players had a half-time meeting after, uh, during the Millwall game to uh, discuss Millwall fans booing the taking of the knee and the likes of uh, Colin Cousin-Richards and Andre Wisdom were said to be among the players who uh, told their teammates to make each other proud in the second half and win the game basically to shut them up um, and to make sure that no one did anything silly. No one rose to it. No one um, put the result at risk by um, doing something stupid and letting their emotions get the better of them. And that is what Derby did. I guess if you're being cynical and a bit of a a nitpicking, you'd have to say that I guess they should have that sort of philosophy for for every game. But even with that in mind, in in a very weird sort of way, the, the incidents did spur Derby on to to a much needed victory. So, if anything, that is uh, you know one one small positive that's come out of this incredibly complex situation. But as we said, it's uh, Rooney's first win as interim manager. That can only be good news. Three games are beaten. No one ever really thinks of it <laughs> that way at the moment. But we're not going to move forward in the short term or the long term until we get a new manager. Obviously, that is as clear as day. Everyone knows it. Everyone's been shouting it from the rooftops for a couple of weeks. It's been a month since the club said the takeover was approved by the EFL. We're still no closer. Um, There was news in the last few days. John Percy uh, mentioned that there was a delay of a few days because of public holidays in the Abu Dhabi area, which um, put the brakes on things a little bit. A few other fans were wondering whether or speculating whether the EFL appeal against against Derby battling a points deduction has got in the way, frankly. But uh, Steve Nicholson from the Derby Telegraph has said it's his understanding that isn't the case. So I'm not really sure what we're waiting for any longer, um, but we'll just have to keep on waiting keep on seeing if this 48 hours eventually turns into new Derby County ownership. But with that will come a new manager. And as a person we talked about before, uh, boys, Big Sam, large Samuel himself, who was uh, doing his punditry duties at the weekend on Quest. And he was asked, you know, what's next for you? And he basically issued the most blatant come and get me plea to Derby that, that he could ever have said. He might as well have just said, Mel, here's my number call me. Um, He was asked about what he's doing and he said, "Um, it's the longest I've been out of football, just over two years. I have got itchy feet, but I'm not actively looking. If someone came along and it was really attractive to me and I felt I could have a good relationship with the owners and the chief exec and the team looked like they could go up, they could go in the right direction, it would be all about success. And success for me could be taking a team out of trouble and building that team and trying to get them up. <laughs> he then went on to say, uh, dreams of a big club in the Premier League would not be my ambition anymore. But if the right if the right club came along, it would be nice to go back in. I think, Coach, we can consider uh, that Big Sam has well and truly thrown his hat into the ring. 
Yeah, and the mere fact that he's saying that on the EFL Quest show just rams home the fact that he obviously has got his eye on the championship. And, you know, looking back at the lead table in terms of kind of what he's describing there, there's very few other candidates. I mean, I'd be surprised if Nottingham Forest sack Chris Hewton so soon after appointing him. And the other teams down there, I can't see them going for uh, Sam Ardice and the likes of Coventry, Rotherham, Wickham. Barnsley, QPR, maybe you could see that. Um, so yeah, I think I think it is a come and get me plea. To be honest, um, I'm, I'd be surprised if he hasn't already had some kind of contact with the club or whoever's uh, searching for the new manager. Uh, look, a couple of weeks ago, even earlier on this week, I was still kind of in the camp that said Big Sam may well not be as bad idea as as I previously would have thought, and it's the kind of person I've never really wanted to come to the club. But you know, desperate times call for desperate measures and all. Look, I'm not by any means saying that Wayne Rooney should get the job, but you know he has had he has improved the team. You have to give Wayne Rooney credit for what he's done so far. And they look, they could have lost against Coventry. They also could have won against Coventry. They probably should have beat Wickham, and they have just beaten Millwall. So he has done a decent job, and they are getting better each game, and they're going in the right direction now. As as we said before, the, the next few games are going to be tough, but I, I just I just don't know because Wayne Rooney's got the team playing in a certain way, and yeah, it's not free flowing, fluent football. But it is, you know, we are getting more attacking. We're playing the ball through the thirds. We are getting forward. Could Big Sam build on that? I'm, I'm sure he could. What happens to Wayne Rooney? Uh, as I said before, I think the club's got itself in a bit of a pickle with, with Rooney because I'm not sure what happens if you don't choose Rooney now to him. Um, I, I think Sam, Big Sam could still do a good job at Derby. Of course he could. I, I've got no idea what, which way this is going, though. I'm interested to hear what Tom thinks about the Big Sam idea. Yeah, I think Big Sam could be an interesting one. And I remember I was watching Quest last night and uh, I thought his comments were very, very sort of obvious. Um, something that's been on Twitter in the last sort of hour or so is that uh, the Suns' Alan Nixon has been talking about Sean Dyche, which is a, an outrageous uh, link and supposedly it's not coming from Dyche's side. Derby maybe have made an approach. Uh, how true it is, I don't know. It's just doing the rounds with uh, Alan Nixon. That would be a great appointment, but I really don't see it happening. Uh, that, that being said, Rooney for me, um, I still think he needs. Well, he hasn't got his coaching badges. That's an issue. Uh, I know. See, Lampard didn't have his. Uh, I believe when he was first appointed, but um, I don't think Rooney is a, a good appointment at this time. I think we need somebody who has has been there and done it and to see us through. I wouldn't mind, say, Big Sam with Rooney as a, a sort of an assistant manager or, or first team coach and actually moving uh, to the behind the scenes rather than being on the pitch that, that with the with the intention of in a, a year or two years time, Big Sam retiring and Rooney taking over. Fine. But I just think at the moment I would... I'm still not sure who I'd like to see as Derby manager, but I do think we need to appoint someone soon. And whilst we have made progress, as you say, Kutch, there's been more crosses put into the box, there's better better cross completion in the last few games. We've not exactly played the best teams in the division. So I, I still think small sample size and weak opposition has probably led to those those minor improvements as much as anything that, that Rooney has done. Uh, there are still big frustrations with that Derby side that we've seen over the last three games, which were still were there when Cocker was in charge. So I don't necessarily think that Rooney's done anything too di- too drastically different um, to what Cocker would have done in, in those three games. Well, I'm sure the club will keep us guessing for uh, a few more days at least, but hopefully it is days rather than weeks. And speaking of guessing... It's time for a quiz, Tom. You have put together a uh, a quiz which you've intriguingly titled a penalty shootout style quiz. What are the rules? 
Well, my Saturday team won a penalty shootout yesterday. Uh, the Rams won in London, so this is a penalty shootout quiz. There are five questions in total, uh, plus a sudden death tiebreaker if we need to get there. I'm going to give you 10 possible answers to my questions, and uh, I'm going to go through the questions. You're going to have to tell me your answer. We'll take it in turn. So we'll start with Kutch. You give me your answer when I've gone through the five questions. And um, we'll basically, if you get a correct answer, you get a point or a goal. Uh, and after the five five questions I've asked you, We'll then see who has won. That clear enough? Yeah. What do you give us the ten options? Clear as mud. Right. Our ten answers or possible answers today are Jeff Hendrick, Jamie Ward, Chris Martin, Cyrus Christie, Marco Gabbiadini, Gordon Cowens, Tommy Johnson, five one, three one, and four one. So any of those ten answers uh, could be the possible answer to the, any of these five questions coming up. So don't give me your answer. I'm going to go through the five questions and then we'll come back to the answer, the first question and you'll give me the answer then. In 2013, Derby County beat Charlton Athletic 2-0 at the Valley, but who scored a deflected free kick to open the scoring? Question number two, Derby scored three late goals in 2016 under Darren Wassell to beat Brentford 3-1, but who scored the second goal? Bloody hell. I think we were at that game. I was up with that game of one of you. Yeah, I was there. It was a good good day. Um, it's one of two, but I don't know which. I don't know which one it is. Uh, one, of, one of four, mate. Unless it's Tommy Johnson, of course. Question number three. I'm going to stick my neck out and say it's not Gordon Cowens. Question number three. Derby beat Millwall in the playoffs in 1994, but who scored the first goal in the second leg at the Den? Okay, well that's one of two of them, isn't it? Question number four. Yeah. What was the aggregate score in that playoff semi-final victory? This is this is just one year before my life of Derby County began. <laughs> I, I remember remember the uh, home leg very well. Question number five and our final question: Which of these former Fulham players has seventeen international caps? When you're ready, gentlemen, uh, we'll start with Cut. So if you give me the answer for the first question, and then Chris, if you give me your answer, and then I'll uh, award the goals, or we'll have a goalkeeper saving the penalty. So deflected free kick, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jamie Ward and Chris. Jamie Ward. Jamie Ward is the correct answer. That is one all after our first yes. penalty. Question two, who scored the second goal against Brentford in the 3-1 victory in 2016? Uh, Kutch again. Chris Martin. Chris? Um, I said Jeff. Correct answer is Cyrus Christie. Oh. I, had to, I had to look it up to double check. Did those two, Chris and Jeff did score the other two goals though? They did, yes. Derby beat Millwall in the playoffs in 1994, but who scored the first goal in the second leg at the Den? Kutch? Yeah, yeah, this is a guess. Um, I, I, I'm gonna say Tommy Johnson. Chris, I think you'll find it was uh, Marco Gabbiadini. Oh, confidence on Chris. It is Tommy Johnson. Yes, come on, <laughs> come on. I was convinced it was Gabbiadini. Taking the lead. Oh dear, I'm in a world of trouble here. Yes, unbeaten run continues. The aggregate score in that playoff semi-final. Kutch again. Uh, really testing my uh, knowledge of former glories. Um, I said four-one. Chris? I mean, I'm pretty sure it's 5-1, but I, I don't know what anything is anymore. <laughs> um, so I'm saying 5-1 still. Could this be the equaliser for Chris? It is indeed. It is 2-2 as we go into our final question. <laughs> yes. So, which of these former Fulham players has 17 international caps? Kutch. Well, I'm going to say, I, I did have it down already, but particularly as you've taken J- Cyrus, it's Gordon Cowens. Chris? This is this is cheeky from you. This is, because I, I was convinced that it was Cyrus Christie, but I'm assuming you can't use the same answer twice. So 
I know I've got this wrong because I put Cyrus Christie. It is indeed. So uh, Cyrus Christie was not correct. He's got 27 caps for the Republic of Ireland. Uh, Chris Martin, 17 caps nah. and three goals. Onto our sudden death tiebreaker. We are currently under COVID restrictions, meaning that not many people can go to football games, only 2,000 maximum. How many clubs of the 24 championship clubs can have fans in their ground at this time? That is a terrific tiebreaker question. Coach, yeah. you can go first. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, I'm going to say 13. I'm going to say 12. It's gone lower. The correct answer is nine. There are nine teams oh, who currently can have yes. have fans in their ground. And uh, there are a total of 43 teams in the entire country who can have fans in their ground. That was a that was an absolute uh, absolute thriller. Uh, I'm I'm just glad to have ended Kutcher's reign of terror <laughs> on the uh, on the quiz this season. Feel robbed. You're going to protest the result like Donald Trump <laughs> for the next uh, next six weeks. I'd look back at the recording first. See what see what went on there. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was a good quiz, Tom. Enjoyed that, especially as I won. Uh, well, we uh, we're going to be back for another podcast in a couple of weeks' time, and we're going to try and squeeze in maybe uh, a little bonus extra episode over Christmas as well to keep you all occupied while you're in those uh, three family Christmas bubbles but uh, until then Richard thanks for joining us thank you very much Tom thanks for your time as always all the best see you again soon